exactly clear There's a man with a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think it's time we stop Children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down I'm C.J. Layton coming to you from inside the Phantom Radio Studios in Lake Wales, Florida home of the premier radio bowling talk show. Long ago, Bowlers Journal International called Phantom Radio a pioneer in the field of bowling podcasts because the show was regularly scheduled at the same time each week. The late Kegel owner, the great John Davis, told Len Nicholson to start this program because, quote, people need to know what you know, end quote. This PBA and bowling writer Hall of Famer has now recorded over 1,200 shows and has featured over 425 guests since 2002. 20 years plus of bowling knowledge, story sharing, and true expertise. Phantom, we need to know what you know. So Phantom fans, here's your host, Len Nicholson, the Phantom. Well, thank you, CJ. And a reminder that Phantom Radio is presented by the Kegel Company. Well, Phantom fans, this week we have yet another very special guest to talk to as we continue to interview who's who in the world of bowling in each and every area of our great sport. And this week's guest has been with us before, and it's always great to have him back. He's a former two-time champion on Pro Bowler Store, and he has 10 PBA regional titles to his credit. But his knowledge of the entire sport of bowling is respected throughout the industry. And he's also one of a small list of certified USBC gold coaches. He was formerly an AMF tour rep, and he has designed award-winning bowling balls of the year. He's the vice president of the Kegel Training Center, and he's a director of sport research. So Phantom fans, here with us again this week is Mr. Dell Warren. Hello, Dell, and welcome back to the show. Phantom, it's been a while. I'm glad uh, you asked me on. Um, Missed talking to you, buddy, but uh, thanks for having me. Well, it's an honor to talk to you at all times, Spars, and as I mentioned, there's nobody more respected in the game than you, and I tell you, my friend, uh, I normally have you on to, to ask you some kind of a technical question or find out something that's going on at the training center, but this time it's going to be about talking about a dear friend that we recently lost, and that is Randy Stoughton. So you knew him as well as anybody. You worked right alongside with him. You knew him for years and years, and we can talk about Randy uh, for days and days, but we only have about 25 minutes, and and he was talented in, in many ways. And you knew of his talents. So let's take a few minutes and talk about a few of them, okay? Are you ready for that? Oh, yeah. All right, Parts. Well, you know, I want to keep it a little bit light. And uh, if you have any stories, uh, we can throw those in. But remember, we only got about four minutes uh, for each one of these topics. So let's take a couple of minutes about the first topic. And I want you to tell our fans about Randy the Bowler. Okay, well, I, um, you know, I, I went on the first time I ever bowled a, 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 a solid stretch on the tour was 1980, and I bowled the summer 
Uh, I bowled the summer of 80 and the winter of 81. And Randy was already out there. He was already an established, solid player. And I believe he made a couple of shows um, in his career. Um, he was a very intense competitor. Um, he always tucked the ball in his right pocket. Um, he cocked his wrist, tucked the ball in his right pocket, and he always um, he always had a little bit of axis rotation and tilt on the ball. He kind of I wouldn't say he spun the ball, but um, he had a really strong role for for back then. Um, he bowled really much better when he when he played to the inside part of the lane. Um, real intense competitor, um, and he made you know in my little stint. At that time, that was my first, um, you know, first 12 months on tour or so. Um, he made a lot of finals, a lot of checks. And what I recall was, um, uh, you know, he was always like, he was like all of us. Yeah, we didn't know a lot back then. He was always studying the game, always trying to get better, um, wasn't afraid to try different things. And uh, like I said, for the, the little bit of time that he actually bowled, he had quite a bit of success. Um because, um, you know, about the time he, kind of like me, about the time we started to get really good and started to be a force, he had a, a medical issue with his ears. And he had lost his equilibrium because he had a, a medical problem with his ears. And uh, and that's what really set him back, um, which eventually led, you know, for him to uh, end up working in the industry. Wow. I will tell you that when I, well, I'll tell you when I first got here, um, now that we're talking about it, um, so I, I was here 16 years. I worked side by side with him, sometimes seven days a week. And I was uh, I joined the league with uh, Chartran and uh, and uh, Jonathan and uh, uh, JJ. And I bowled the the Wednesday night league over at Cypress like we all did. And uh, uh, there was a night that I couldn't um, bowl. And so what Randy did for his equilibrium, he actually did a one step. And, um, he had just, uh, he just turned 50 and he was going to bowl a couple of seniors events. And so he was doing a one step with a 14 pound ball and he subbed for me one night and started with the front 19, <laughs> one stepping with a 14 pound ball. <laughs> wow. <Yeah. laughs> I see. That's one of the reasons why I want you on here because I knew Randy for over 40 years. I didn't know that about his hearing problems, but I know you know about all the little ins and outs, and that's great. So let's go to number two. What can you tell us about Randy, the ball driller? Opinionated, fast. You know, Randy, you know, ran the PBA truck, actually ran the truck. So he worked for Litchie. He and Teddy worked for Litchie for a very long time, and the PBA truck is set up for speed. So they had the Lichco uh, jig, which is set up for speed. Once you clamp that into the jig, you don't touch the ball. Um, it was right about the time that slugs came out. And, uh, you know, they were the first ones to actually have end mills and drill ovals. So Randy is the fastest ball driller I have ever met. Uh, the jig, when Randy started here about two and a half years before me, he got the jig in there, the, the PBA jig, and he got a set of end mills, which is still in there, that has drilled thousands of balls. They're just as sharp as they were the day we bought them. Wow. And so once you set the ball in that jig, Randy learned how to be efficient. So if you watched him when he was on the truck, he had he wore gloves, like golf gloves on both hands, and everything was about efficiency of movement. 
so Randy drove a lot of balls for me. I used to drive him nuts because I was always trying new stuff. Um, <laughs> like we all were, you know, you went, you know, you know, Phantom, you know, you, you go a couple of weeks without a check. You're willing to try anything. Right. right. Well, that was me. And so I used to, you know, keep Randy late because I was always slugging stuff and trying new grips and stuff. But he was a really fast, efficient ball driller. And, and because he had all that time on the truck, you weren't, see, unlike pro shops, you weren't sitting on the truck, Phantom. Guys would come in, turn their sheets in, you scribe the ball. One person scribed the ball, and one guy just drilled. You didn't scribe and drill. And they just, he was really fast. I mean, he knocked, knocked three holes and a weight hole on a ball in less than five minutes. Oh, wow. So. Yeah, he was awesome. There's no question about it. All right. Uh, here's another one for you because you know this one better than anybody. Tell us about Randy, the coach. Yeah, that's a like a two-day discussion. But, um, you know, so when I got here, it was really interesting. My first 12 months here was, you know, Randy and I really didn't like each other. And uh, I think it was more of an ego thing than anything. I never had a problem with Randy on the truck or anything. But now, you know, now I'm Randy's boss. And, you know, Randy was a really proud, private guy. And Randy, Randy's belief as a coach and a ball driller you were really going to have to challenge him to change his mind. And, you know, my, my mentors were Mo Pinnell, Bill Taylor, um, John Jowdy, you know, so, and I'd worked with every coach in my career that you can think of um, along the way. So, of course, my background was a little bit different than Randy's. And so we really didn't get along very well the first 12 months. And then between our love of golf and, when we started the Weber program, we became very close. Randy was as intense a coach as you'll ever meet. He demanded excellence of his girls. He demanded their best effort at all times. He expected you to be successful, not hoped you'd be successful. He, he would tell the girls, I promise you, I'm going to make you cry, sometimes intentionally, sometimes not. But I'm telling you, the girls loved him, and he loved his girls. He would do anything. So his bark was way worse than his bite. I used to see some, you know, it was so funny when Diana used to really want something. I could tell I'd walk up, and she'd be leaning against him. <laughs> I'd start laughing. i go, so what'd she want? <laughs> well, she wants me to drill her ball and she doesn't like the two balls she has now. And, you know, and I go, well, isn't your rule coach that you don't drill for the girls after so-and-so? Yeah, I know, but she was nice about it. <laughs> so, uh, but he, and he hated to lose. He freaking hated to lose. I remember, I remember one time the girls were at sectionals. The girls, went in, the girls were winning their sectionals by five or 600, and so were the boys. And I walked down. We got done earlier, and I walked down to watch the girls because I didn't get a chance to watch them very much. And they were paired with Florida State, and Florida State was jumping around like they just won the national championship. And as I'm looking at our girls' team, it looked like somebody died. And I'm like, you only have to finish in the top four to get to nationals. And there was no way anybody was catching them. I'm like, what is going on? And I go down there, and the girls are crying. 
And I said, what is going on? So I pulled coach aside. I'm like, what's up? He goes, these girls are going to learn how to finish. They just gave Florida State hope that if we face them, now Florida State has hope because we just shot 150-150 our last two games and because we didn't finish. We didn't maintain our intensity. And, and here they won by 500. They won the tournament by 500 over a second. But it was a really good lesson because the, the ladies took their foot off the gas, and he was not going to allow them to not, you know, and, and, and when you go to nationals, Lenny, you, you don't have to beat 15 other teams. You just have to, once you're in your bracket, you just got to come out as the winner in your bracket. There's only seven other teams in your bracket, yeah. and, you, and you have to lose twice to be eliminated. So he was right. Psychologically, he felt like because the girls had let off the gas, that he that he that the Florida State team gained a little bit of an edge, whereas before they were fearing them like they had no chance to beat Weber. So that's really what his expectations uh, were as a coach, especially a college coach. Especially, you know, he coached Aruba. He was the head coach for Aruba. Uh, he's coached many international teams. Of course, he, you know, he coached many Hall of Fame women that were on that Ebonite famous Ebonite squad back in the in the nineties. Uh, he coached Carolyn Ballard and a, a lot of other very well-known people that have thanked him in the Hall of Fame, Kim Terrell, you know, but he really was an intense competitor. I, I saw you guys working together. I had no idea you two ever had a, a rough, rough against each other. But you know what? It's understandable that uh, being a coach or the boss of your friends is really a tough situation to be in, especially like you said, you were both very accomplished, and you both had uh, tremendous egos that were earned. And uh, it's like two big deer in the same pasture. Uh, sometimes you're going to bump into each other. But it was so wonderful to see you guys arm in arm coaching that Weber teams. Uh, it was just wonderful. And I'm so glad that you guys uh, were great, great friends at the end. Uh, you know, you mentioned something uh, while you were talking about how he was as a golfer. So I want to ask you about, uh, I know you guys played a lot of golf together. So tell us about Randy, the golfer. Yeah, we played a lot of golf together, massive amounts. And it's between the Weber program and the amount of time we spent on the golf course that we became very, very close. Um, we love golf. And, and, you know, now you throw Ruben in there and the three of us have played Oh, I, I would say we've played over a hundred rounds of golf together. And, um, so ironically when, and we were competitors, we want to kick the shit out of each other. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we played for hamburgers, but it might as well have been for a million dollars. Yeah. And I've seen, I've, you know, Randy in the beginning was probably one and one better than me. And Ruben's always been like two and two better than me. And then as I worked on my game, and of course, Randy's five or six years older than me, I actually, at the end, there was a better player than Randy. But but I'm telling you, we used to tease each other like we did on tour, and we were at, you really had to have thick skin to play in our game. But it was never out of disrespect. It was out of love and fun and, and wanting to compete against each other every day. Um, and just some classic matches. I can't tell you how many times, you know, the three of us, we'd be playing mediocre, and I'd go up and we'd get on a par three, and I'm like, okay, closest to the pen for 10 bucks. And we'd all put it within 10 feet. <laughs> we did the best shots of our day. 
And we'd all start laughing. We'd go, birdie, birdie, birdie. (laughs) And all it took was a little extra competitiveness, and all of a sudden, we went to another gear. I I could, we did that many, many times. It was really, we just, we had so much fun on the golf course and so much fun coaching together. Um, We really had each other's backs at, at the end of the day. I trusted Randy with my life. But, you know, ironically, on the golf course, we weren't really talking about golf. We were talking about Weber. Yeah. And we're talking yeah. about, and, and as coaches do, bitching, you know, because we're never satisfied. Complaining, and why don't this player do this, and why won't they do that, and why won't they listen, and why won't they go to school, and, you know, and and uh, if they would only do this and this, they could be All-American, you know. And it was So when we're coaching bowling, we're talking about golf, and we're playing golf, we're talking about coaching bowling. It's so funny. <laughs> You know, I got to I got to tell you a quick story. I've told it before, but uh, it's my favorite story about the golf. Uh, I know you guys used to play all the time and you guys had like John Gaines. This is back in the day and Richard Shockley and then Ruben came along and and you and Randy and you guys would always go out. John Forrest was out there and I played a little golf on the tour. Uh, You know, I was no good. I was about a 14 handicap. I had no idea how good you guys were, but, uh, you know, I would have loved to play in your foursome. So one day I was down there. I used to go to Kegel once a month and there was an opening. A couple of guys had to go, uh, had lessons and stuff. So Randy says, come on, you want to play? I said, yeah. Oh man, it was great. So I go out there and, and there was four of us. And so Randy goes, well, come on, you ride with me. So, all right. So I said, you guys gamble? He says, yeah. I said, all right, let's play for some money. He goes, all right. He says, how much? I says, well, we play on the road, you know, a variety and all that. We play for 20, 20, and 20. He goes, okay. We flipped the coin. I hit first. I hit it right down the middle. It's about a 400-yard par four. I hit it about 220 down the middle. And I'm walking around like I had some swag. And he goes, I didn't know you were a player. I says, well, you know, I'm just going to get warmed up here. Well, he drew one down the left side and it kicked to the left and it went in the trap. And so now I got this guy. I, oh, I, I'm going to beat one of the players, right? So anyway, I was away. And I hit one about 20 feet from front of the green and it bounced up and rolled up about 15 feet from the pin. Now I'm sticking my chest out and all that. So Randy goes, nice shot. He goes over the trap and he wiggles his feet and he knocked it in. <laughs> for, a, for a two. And I says, what's that? He goes, well, you never asked me if I was any good. <laughs> I never won a hole. Anyway, so I owed him 60 bucks. He goes, give me 10 bucks and I'll buy the drinks, he said. <laughs> but he was an awesome player, man, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, uh, the three of us were single-digit handicapped, and so we had some just wonderful competition and matches and um, just you know, now that, you know, we haven't been able to really play with Randy because um, Randy had been sick for a while. Yeah. Um, but just um, the amount of appreciation that I have for the time that I spent with the, the three of us together. Uh, and then, of course, on the Weber team, we always had one or two kids that were really good and they play high school golf and being able to bring out one of our kids and, and, and have, you know, like I said, we didn't, you know, occasionally we played for money. A lot of times no one paid. Um, occasionally somebody would pay and it would be really painful, but, um, the competition sometimes would get so fierce that if somebody played really good and the other guy played really bad, 
they wouldn't even say goodbye. He'd just get in his car and, get, and leave. He'd be so pissed off, right? <laughs> it's funny. And yeah. then, of course, me and Ruben would come in the next day and, you know, <laughs> and we, you know, because you got to rub it in a little bit. Like, you know, how you feeling, bud? You know, did you get home okay? We, we, we missed you. <laughs> of course. Yeah. So, oh, God. Just, uh, just absolutely uh, the time of our lives, really. Yeah. For sure. Okay. I got one more topic. I want you to cover, and it's going to wrap it all up, basically, I'm sure. Like I said before we even started this, we could talk about Randy for hours and hours and days and weeks, but I want to kind of basically bring it down to to where we have time to do it all. And the final one is uh, I'd like you to tell us about Randy's personality, if you would, Pards. I would say intense, kind, um, smart. Randy was very intelligent, very intuitive. We all grew up on the tour. The tour taught us how to be street smart. The tour taught us how to gamble. The tour taught us um, how to survive. He was a survivor. Um, Randy was also, and Randy was um, had guts. He, he was not. I mean, I, I watched he and Chartran, you know, our boss go toe to toe. He wasn't afraid to tell you you were wrong. But he also would put his arm around you. So, you know, I was a little intimidated by Randy when I started here. I'm a little bit, a little more laid back than Randy in general. And I, um, Randy will, will try to challenge you to win a fight. And I don't mean like a physical fight. I mean like a, an argument fight. And whereas um, I will say my opinion, and it, it's not all that important to me to win a fight as much as uh, maybe learn and get my point across. So, I tiptoed around Randy for 12 to 18 months. And and then Weber came along, of course, uh, our love of golf, like I said. But um, one of the most emotional but gratifying moments that I have with Randy is, you know, we ran the training center, the model where it was, and, and Weber at the same time. And we ran them at a very high level, uh, something John Davis would have, would have been very proud of. And he said to me one day, out of the blue, he said, one, he goes, I just want to tell you something. I think you're doing a great job. And I could never do your job. And I, and, and I want you to know that. You know, I get emotional when I think about that. But that all I wanted from Randy was his respect. And somehow he knew that. He didn't have to say that. And he shook my hand. He looked me in the face with that big-ass paw that he has. And he grabbed my hand. And he said, and he, and he, basically, he basically said, I, I can't do what you're doing and thanks for doing a great job. And it was a, a moment I'll never remember. And it was, it was, it was probably not a, quite a decade ago, but more than five years ago. Um, and it was just a moment. It just, there was no, nothing leading up to it. It was just something that I think he intuitively knew I needed to hear. And it was certainly something I'll never forget. Yeah. He was a wonderful guy. And, uh, you know, when Dick Weber passed away, it was in the middle of the night, and it just uh, it ruined me for a long time because we were pretty close, and you know, I never had any warning. At least with Randy being sick for a long time, you you knew it was coming. You didn't want it to happen, but uh, we're sure gonna miss him. He's a wonderful guy and a lot of knowledge, and you and him were just a great pair down there, parts at the Gagel Training Center, and. You know, I can look at the old clock and I'll tell you that we're out of time, but 
as I said earlier, we could talk about him for a long, long time. And if you think anything you want to tell me later or tomorrow or next week, we'll, we'll put it into the show somewhere. Uh, here's one thing Adele wanted to say about Randy, blah, blah, blah. So we got an open door policy, my friend. So, you know, once again, I want you to know that I really appreciate you being on with us and telling us all you did about Randy. Uh, he, he'll never be forgotten amongst all of us. But I want you to take care of yourself and wish you continued success and say hello to your wonderful wife, Dawn, for us. And hopefully I'll see you again soon somewhere down the road. So do you have a closing comment you want to make? No, I, I think it's wonderful that you reached out to me to remember Randy. Um, because he uh, he's touched so many lives. And if you've seen some of the Facebook posts, people and what they've said he's he's been a he's been a father to many of the the Weber students um he's been a he's been a mentor to thousands of his students over his lifetime he helped a lot of women went on tour and experienced um, a lifelong dream and uh he's helped bowling grow i mean he's helped bowling uh in general and i, I tell you what you're not going to find anybody that loved bowling more than randy and and love and love john davis and keggle that's a mouthful right there. John Davis, Cagle, you, I'll tell you what. Parts, we got to go, and that's going to wrap up the show for this week. And you said you were getting a little emotional, and I can feel it myself. So I hope that you all enjoyed it, that you enjoyed hearing from Del Warren. And we look forward to talking to all of you again next week. We'll have yet another interesting guest to talk to. And closing, want to thank our sponsors, Storm Bowling Products, and Brad Edelman with the High Roller for their valued support of our show. And also a big shout out to our good friend Dave Kowalski for his great support. I'd like to add that he was just invited and inducted into the recently Coaches Hall of Fame in Michigan. So we appreciate all that they do to keep us coming back to you each and every week. So for Phantom Radio, God bless Randy Stoughton. This is a phantom. When you're down and troubled and you need some love and care and nothing, well, nothing is going right. Close your eyes and think of me and soon I'll